Welcome to Well, praise God. Welcome, everyone. It's so great to be with you. I want you to know one of the things I will miss the most is this night, Wednesday night Bible study. I love how you have taught me. I've, I've grown in your insight. Just, isn't it great to come together and study the word like this? And it's just amazing how God speaks through different people differently. But I have just had so much joy being with you. Uh, even though we've been studying Job, <laughs> which sometimes can be hard to study, it's been a great time together. And so thank you for being here. So I, I, wanna th- I want you to think about two questions for the end of our teaching tonight. Uh, one question is, how has studying this book changed you? So be thinking about that through the night. Uh, and if we have time at the end, we'll go over these questions with a few people. And then the second one is, what is your number one takeaway from the book of Job? What will you always remember the book of Job represents in your life? So how has it changed you, and what is the main takeaway for you in studying this book? So we've come to the end, and let's read Job 42, verse 7. I'll read it, and you can follow along. Now, God had just challenged Job one last time, and Job said, I put my hand over my mouth, I'm done talking. And that's where we pick up. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had had before. All of his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. And they comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named was Jemima. The second is Keziah, and the third is Karen Hapuk. I have not dedicated any babies with these names. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. That's very rare. And after this, Job lived 140 years, and he saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, and so he died old and full of years. Title of our study tonight is The Way of Redemption. We need redemption. We need saving. We need rescuing. We need delivering. But there are are steps that we have to take for that to be accomplished. And it's true in Job's life. It's true in the life of Job's friends especially. So the first step on the way of redemption is number one, repentance. If we have been away from the Lord, if we have not followed the Lord's will then the first step we have in getting right with God is repentance, asking for forgiveness, acknowledging our sin, confessing our sin. It's, 
It's a great way to start. My mom used to tell me when I was just a little kid, before you go to sleep every night, ask God to forgive you of your sins. And that's a habit to this day. Lord, forgive me for my sins, for those that I, I know about and those that I don't. But repentance, as I've often said before, is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It makes us right with God. Sometimes, you know, we see this sinner repent, and that seems, you know, turn or burn, you know. But really, repentance is getting ourselves in right relationship with God. And so it's a wonderful thing. It's something we should practice because we will all need to repent in this life. But we will be free from sin in the next life. Now, Job had repented. Remember, he says, I repent for his lack of trust in God. And so now it's time for Job's friends to repent. And I, I love this. God says, Job better pray for you because I'm about to wipe you out. <laughs> so just as God confronted Job, now Job, God confronts Job's three friends. Why was God so angry? I mean, he was, he was ready to destroy them. Why was he so angry? Yes. They came at him with a heart of we are more pure, more committed, more, you know, men of God. Yes. And you are obviously a sinner, hence this is why this is upon you. And, and this is a great point. And so why did that make God mad because of what they did to Job? Excellent. Yes, that's the irony. Here they were in judgment of Job, but God knew their hearts were nowhere near as righteous as his. Someone else, yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and God loathes self-righteousness. He loves true righteousness, but he loathes self-righteousness. Yes? Well, I was uh, thinking God had that same emotion for himself when he said that. So it doesn't matter what comes after all that. They had the same emotion. Yeah, that's a great point because they had judged. Now they're about to be judged with the same lack of compassion they had for Job. As we're going to get into this. So... It's, it's interesting to me that how they treated Job angered God. Any other thoughts on why was God so angry with these three friends? Anybody? Oh, where am I? There we go. Yes. Okay, this is the main thing. And God said this twice. You spoke of things that were not true. Now, it's, it's a little confusing for us because some of the things they said sounded Good. Uh, some of the things the friends said, but l most often it was out of context or in the wrong context. They may have said the right thing in the wrong way. And so they had misrepresented God. They, as someone was implying, they felt they knew God better than Job did. And therefore, in a way, <laughs> they felt they knew God better than God did. Isn't that interesting? The bottom line belief of Job's friends was that Job had sinned and God was punishing him. That's it. It boils down to that. Job sinned and now God is punishing you. And it was untrue on both counts. 
Job had not sinned, and God was not punishing him. They had made a misjudgment against Job and mischaracterization of God. That's the thing. They, they had a lot of theology, but they didn't know God. They knew about him, but they didn't know him. And there's a huge difference. My mom often used to say, most people will miss heaven by one foot. It never gets from their head to their heart. You can have a lot of head knowledge, but until you believe and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's all it is, is head knowledge. And so this is interesting that though Job had certainly crossed the line in some of the things he said, or at least how he said it, he still had not sinned. And Job's friends repeatedly attacked his character and his integrity over and over and over again. Can you imagine how that would wear you down? It's like, really? You're my three friends? You've thought about this the whole time we've known each other, and now you're, you're in a position where you want to mouth it? They had wrongly accused him, and they had slandered him. They told him that he stole from the poor. He didn't care, of, care for people. I mean, they just, because they were so adamant to defend themselves that they hurt Job. And that's what happens a lot of time with people. We're so fearful of people knowing our true selves that we tear other people down instead. And Job's friends had, a, had accused Job of sinning and being wicked and evil and deserving even the death of his own children. But God is not only redeeming Job, he is redeeming Job's reputation. Remember, Job said, people now spit on me. It's, boy, I bet you any of those spitters are regretting it now. And God gives a warning to Job's three friends and tells them they need to sacrifice a burnt offering, now this is interesting, for themselves. Sometimes repentance requires a sacrifice. Now, we don't sacrifice a lamb or a goat or a pigeon anymore, aren't you glad? Glad you don't have to wring off the neck of a dove and sacrifice it anymore. But there are still sacrifices we need to make. True repentance many times requires us of letting things go, of, of changing our life, getting things out of our life, bringing a sacrifice unto the Lord. And now it's what's interesting, remember from the very beginning, Job offered sacrifices for his children. But God is very specific here. He tells Job, Job's friends, you offer sacrifice for yourselves. And this is something that we have to realize. We really, Job's efforts for his children were somewhat in vain. You know, sometimes people think, well, if I just, you know, if I just accept Christ, I can live any way I want and still be saved. Really? The scriptures don't seem to be that clear on that. And it's, and it's important for us to understand that, you know, it, it matters how we live out our faith. And Job was trying to make sacrifices for his children, but God is clarifying that, no, you can only make a sacrifice for yourself. None of us can get to heaven on our parents' or grandparents' coattails. I've shared this before, but when I used to be able to golf, I miss those days. But believe in God, they'll come back again. Uh, but I always loved going out, and you know, somebody would join up with us, and, and I loved you know, how... You have conversation throughout the, the round, and, and I would always try to, you know, get the fish going again, right? trying to see if I could reel them in. And so I would ask them, what do you do for a living? And inevitably, most people would ask me the same eventually. 
So what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a pastor. And I love the reaction on their faces because it would be, your eyes would get big and they're, they're trying to remember all the swear words they've said for nine holes. And inevitably, the other thing that, so not only would they be like, oh, great. But then they would say something like, well, you know, I, I had a cousin that went to church one time. It's like they're trying to find somebody that was righteous in their life, you know, somewhere. And that's what Job was doing for his kids. He's trying to, they needed to sacrifice for themselves. We each have to carry our own cross. We, we can't carry someone else's cross for them. We have to carry our own. And so, fortunately for them, Job's friends did what the Lord asked and Job prayed for him. To me, this is so powerful. After all his friends had done to him and said about him, they even inferred that he killed his own children, Job was still willing to pray for them. I don't know about you, but if somebody had done that to me, and they came to me after all they had said, I mean, the audacity to accuse him of killing his children by the way he lived his life. This shows you what a man of God Job is. He really was an amazing man. When he was suffering and hurting, here's, here's the interesting thing. You know, never in 42 chapters did his friends say, can we pray for you, Job? Can we join hands together and just pray with you? Not one time did they offer to pray for Job, not once. And yet when, when they asked Job, to pray for them, he does. Job really is an incredible man, and he forgives them. Now look, when they were in crisis, Job didn't treat them as they had treated him. And this is amazing humility, compassion, and forgiveness. It's almost, if we see here that not only is there power in prayer, there's power in forgiveness. Now this is important to understand. Uh, anybody know the song The Heart of the Matter by Don Henley? Anybody know that song? Budgie, you know that song. Of course you do. You, Budgie knows all the songs. I love those old songs. But listen to these words if you haven't heard it. There are people in your life who've come and gone. They let you down. You know they hurt your pride. You better put it all behind you, baby, because life goes on. You keep carrying that anger. It'll eat you up inside, baby. I've been trying to get down to the heart of the matter, but my will gets weak and my thoughts seem to scatter. But I think it's about forgiveness. Forgiveness, even if you don't love me anymore. And the whole premises of the song is a former flame is now with someone else and they had broken up. But is this amazing that a secular audience understands the power of forgiveness? When it all comes down to the, the heart of the matter, it's forgiveness. Even the world understands that. Now, we all are going to get wounded. We're going to get hurt by people in this world and sometimes even people in the church. And so Jesus said we'd have tribulation. We, there, there will be offense, as John Bevere teaches. It's going to come. But when that happens, we... We have a choice in how we're going to deal with this hurt. And so I, I'm going to use this as an illustration. So my right shoulder, I was in 
football my senior year and I tore my rotator cuff. And back in that day, coaches were king and he wouldn't let me go to an orthopedic surgeon because wrestling was next. And so he said, don't you dare. Because we lived in Tonopah, Nevada. The nearest surgeon was in Bishop, California. And so he said, no, you cannot go. So I, I went through wrestling season. They had to tape up my arm every match. And, of course, that just was a target, you know, grab this shoulder. And uh, after wrestling was over, my track coach had a totally different philosophy. He said, you go to, your, you go to a doctor or you don't, you don't run track. Because he was, he was actually a coach that cared. <laughs> and I went to the doctor, and they, they gave me an MRI, and they said, you did permanent damage. If you'd have come, right after it happened, we could have reattached the rotator cuff. But now it's permanent damage. So I have lived with this bad shoulder since the age of 17. I figured eventually that they'd have the technology to be able to fix it again. And you know what? A few years years ago, maybe five years ago, I went in and had this surgically repaired. And it immediately made a difference, but what really made a difference was the physical therapy I did after the surgery. So I, I had an injury. I had surgery to heal it, but that surgery would have meant nothing without the physical therapy to actually get it the full healing. The surgery alone couldn't heal it. And so I, I would say my shoulder's at 95%. And it, it worked. You know, and they had to, it was interesting because the, the bicep tendon had disconnected. So they stretched the bicep tendon up and they attach it with a glue or a, a screw or something. It's, it's pretty amazing what they do. They drill right through the bone. But now part two. So when I was a youth pastor, I got hurt a lot as a youth pastor too. <laughs> I actually had a major concussion, but that's another story. Uh, I was playing church league basketball. How many you know that that can be dangerous for your salvation? I'm telling you what, it's <laughs> Christians have a hard time playing basketball with, in keeping their salvation. But I, I stole a ball, and I was driving down and went to do a layup with my left hand, and a guy swept my legs, and my whole weight landed on this elbow, and I could, feel, I, heard, I could feel the terror in my rotator cuff when it happened, and I was in agony. So, again, you know, I waited. And then a few years after this surgery, I had this one done. Almost identical injury. Bicep tendon was detached, all that other thing. But this, this one's only about at 50%. And there's one reason why. I didn't do physical therapy this time. I can't blame the doctor. It's on me. And that's what forgiveness is about. We can't control the injury. I couldn't control the injury. But we can get better. And we may need a, a spiritual surgery, but it's up to us to do the physical therapy. It's up to us to do the, the forgiveness process. Because forgiveness isn't instantaneous. How many know when somebody's wounded you deeply, it's, a pro, it's, it's hard to forgive right away, but we, you have to confess it even before you feel it, especially. And I think it was important that Job forgave. Because it, had he not forgiven, I don't think he would have gotten double. 
I think this is what is so important about forgiveness. There can be no blessing for us if we refuse to forgive others. It says that God blessed him double, but, God, but because of that, God saw Job pray for his friends, which was an act of forgiveness. And so we're all going to get injured. We all need to pursue healing, but we need to do the daily work that's going to bring complete healing to our soul. When, listen to this. When we forgive others, we heal ourselves. It's, it's so fascinating. And, it, and this, the research has been shown even in medicine. Forgiveness brings a physical healing. Not, not to mention an emotional and a spiritual one. So if you want to be healed, then forgive. For your own sake, forgive. And so Job was prosperous again, not by his own doing, but by the hand of God, but definitely through his forgiveness. And so his relationship is restored with his friends, but his relationship with his family is another matter. Now, it says here that all of his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. So I want to know, where have you been? Isn't that fascinating? All his friends, all his, he had brothers and sisters. Where have they been all this time? Tell me, why, why weren't they there? Somebody have any idea? Why are they just showing up now? Yes. Yes. People don't know what to say. Yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And divorce is, is like a living death with, where there is no end. And the two become one, but the one don't become two. They become halves. Now, God can heal that. But, uh, but you are so right that, that that pain is devastating. And it brings division. People choose sides. And so it's, it's so, so hard to heal from that process. And so why do you think some other reasons why Job's family is just now showing up? His brothers and sisters, they knew him while he was rich and prosperous mm. and had so much to give and share. And now he's living in the dump and is covered with worms and sores and yes. stuff. Yes, that's that is so true. Yes. Yeah, it's true, and and there are a lot of people that are users out there, and. And when just think of the prodigal son. Once he ran out of money, he ran out of friends. And, and so we always have to be mindful of that fact that, you know, people will stand with you when things are going good and they can benefit from you. 
But the minute they can't, look out. Yes. So they had the bad theology as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. True, true. Good point, good point. They, they, because uh, this was the prevailing theology of the day. This is what was taught in the churches of the day or whatever they were at. That if, if something's bad happened to you, you've sinned. And, or, and if you're good, you only get good things. And so surely Job had that theology. So did his siblings. Right, Adam and Eve, yes. Yes. It did, and, it, and especially early on, there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood, the Bible says, and, it, and something, something has to die for someone to be forgiven. Any other thoughts as to why his friends are just, and his family are finally showing up? Yes. Sure, it's okay. <laughs> True. Yes. Yeah, I, th- I think there's envy, especially when he was wealthy. Why does he get that? You know, I'm good too. Why am I not wealthy? And then when he loses everything, they feel justified and say, ah, finally, he gets what he deserves. <laughs> and, and so it's, it's just tragic. We, sh- we should never envy anyone, but don't ever envy anybody's life. For, number one, you don't really know their life. It could seem envious on the surface and a nightmare below the surface. Yes. Yeah. Right. And that's why it's so hard as parents to try to treat your children equally uh, without... And, and you know... Um, Jacob was wrong in how he treated Joseph because he favored him. And that actually put Joseph's life at risk by the favoring of, of him. I mean, all the other brothers knew, you know, that he was the favorite. And you know, who, you know who else knew? Joseph. Joseph was a cocky teenager when he first starts up. Guess what? I had a dream. You're all going to bow down to me. Isn't that awesome? You know, and it's, yes, that sibling rivalry. I mean, Cain and Abel, we're back to that. You know, God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain. And I often wonder, what, why was that? We know that, that Abel offered the best of his, his flock, and Cain offered the best of his garden. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah, he gave a gift that was good enough for him, but it wasn't good enough for God. And just as you, as you said, the sacrifice started with Adam and Eve being clothed. And so there probably was an understanding of what God expected, and, and Cain wouldn't do it. He wanted to do his own thing, and, and therefore he suffered the, the consequences. And so the, we hear about Job's family in Job 19.13. God, Job is speaking, God has alienated my brothers from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My kinsmen have gone away. My friends have forgotten me. And so it's kind of interesting. We, we saw that he lost his children. His wife turned against him. But this is the first we learn he lost his family, his siblings. And so I believe, why would they, once Job is now restored and everybody understands, oh, okay, we got to change our theology. We've got to go back and change the textbook because uh, this, you know, Job is truly a righteous man. So did they, I would have, I'd have felt a little awkward showing up to Job's house after I just condemned him for who knows how long. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. They didn't want, want the pattern to continue. But after they saw that Job was justified, why would they show up? My thought is Job invited him. Job is a, the bigger man, as we're seeing for sure. He is the bigger man. And I think he, brought, he invited them to let them know they're forgiven too. Now that is an amazing man. Because along with repentance, sometimes redemption requires, number two, restitution. So if we, repentance is a process. The first step is to acknowledge our sin, confess our sin, and ask for forgiveness. But there may be more to it than that to have complete redemption. And that is, there's a price to be paid. There's something due. Each one of Job's family members and friends bring Job a gift of silver and a gold ring. This is their restitution. This is their token. There's a token of repentance. John the Baptist said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. If you're truly repentive, there will be evidence. This is their evidence. Job had forgiven his brothers, but for them, they needed to make it right for themselves, like Joseph's brothers. And so a willingness to make restitution is a sure sign of genuine repentance. Sometimes God's saying, you know, I appreciate your repentance, but you've got, you've got to go a little further than this. You've got to make things right in the past. And we think about Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus? He was a hated tax. He was a chief tax collector. He was a tax collector of tax collectors. Everybody hated him. He climbed up a tree. Yeah, we had a play at the church I used to pastor. Guess who they asked to be Zacchaeus? I know. Nobody else even tried out. It was just me. But anyway, so, you know, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. It's a song we sang in children's church. I remember it. And so he did, he came down, and during the meal, this is what happened, Luke 19, 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, which is sure he did, I will pay back four times the amount. 
Now, nobody asked him to do this. Jesus didn't say anything like this. But listen to verse 9. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Not yesterday, today. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. And so Zacchaeus understood it wasn't enough to say, you know, I'm sorry for all the people I cheated all over the years. He knew he had to say, you know what? I got to make things right. And so I'm going to pay back four times what I stole. And I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. That's repentance. That's restitution. And there have been times in my life where God has made me conscious of a sin I've done in my past and has told me, in fact, I'll, I'll share this story. I haven't shared this before. So last couple years ago, during the, during, before COVID began, I got contacted by a, a, an acquaintance from high school on Facebook. And uh, I didn't know much about this guy. His name is Ted. And, uh, but I remember from high school that I wasn't always kind to Ted. And so he wanted to get together for, for dinner, <laughs> for lunch. And so I did. And, and he was living in poverty. He was, had very poor health. And we went out to lunch a couple times. He ate stuff he wasn't supposed to eat. He had heart problems and everything. But there was one last time we ate lunch, and I brought him back to his house where he was living with a couple other people. And I said, Ted, I need to ask your forgiveness. He says, for what? I said, when, I, when we were kids, there were times I was not kind to you and maybe even bullied you. And he forgave me. And a few weeks later, he died. And they had no one else to contact but me. He had no family or friends that, that he had given them, and, but it, he, had, he had already passed away. But I thought, oh, God, thank you for reminding me. And I had to make restitution. I had to ask. I had to go to him. It wasn't enough for me to say, God, I repent. Sometimes you got to go to them and say, I repent. I, I, I prefer just going to God. God, you know that dude? Yeah, please forgive me. And then God says, yeah, you need to go ask him. That's the hard part. But I am so glad I did because I would have had a hard time living with that because I knew God wanted me to ask forgiveness for him. And I talked to him about the Lord and he didn't seem very interested, but I planted as many seeds as I could, not knowing he would pass away weeks later. And so I, I confess my faults to you so that we can all learn that sometimes repentance means restitution, more than just telling God you're sorry. Now, what's interesting, many think that it was with these gifts Job was able to rebuild his wealth. Think about it. All his family, all his friends brought to him silver and a gold, probably a nose ring, a woman's nose ring. And with those, those measures of wealth, once again, he was able to rebuild you know, he was given this seed money. God provided the financial restoration for Job, but at one time, people had abandoned him. And because of this restitution, his family needed to pay this. For them to be forgiven, they needed to do this. 
They needed to go to their brother, their little brother, their uncle, their whomever, their friend, and say, I need to say more than I'm sorry. I need to help you for the next stage of your life. And because of this restitution, Job's family could experience number three, reconciliation. Reconciliation requires repentance, but sometimes it requires restitution to make things right with people. Not only had his relatives and his other friends come to bless him financially, but they had to comfort and console him over the trouble the Lord had brought. And we know it wasn't from the Lord, it was from the enemy. Once restitution is given, it paves the way for number four, restitution, or restoration. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. Doubled. Now, there's, while I've got time, I want to just jump ahead a little bit. So, where do you think Job's kids came from? The next ten. Any thoughts? Yes. A new wife. Now, this is a great point. Because there are those... Remember... And let me, I don't, I don't have time to, this, to show you this, but uh, Jay Crosland pointed this out to me. Remember when she told Job, curse God and die? A few verses later, Satan said the same thing. He will curse you to his face. Same Hebrew word. She quoted the devil. So did God give him a new wife? What do you think? Any other thoughts? So... There are those that believe he, because remember, he had 10 kids. Now he has 10 more. Why didn't he get 20 more? Why weren't they doubled? Some believe because 10 were in paradise. And 10 were on earth. That doubles. That makes 20. There are those that believed his 10 children were resurrected, raised from the dead. (laughs) It's true. Wait a minute, I don't want to go. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it's paradise at that time, but still, it's Abraham's bosom. It's still a wonderful place that, that uh, Lazarus went to and not the rich man. So that's a good point. Any other thoughts on where'd the 10 kids come from? Where'd the wife come from? Any other, any other thoughts on that? Don't want to think about that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, maybe he gave him two wives. He doubled everything else. <laughs> of course, that's not heaven. Yes. True. True. <laughs> well, I'm just speaking for, you know, I'm not speaking against women about having more than one wife, but anytime it was tried in the Bible, it didn't work. Polygamy God allowed, but it was never his, his design. And every time it was tried, it was a failed experiment. Yes. Yes. Right. Exactly. 
And so it's, it's very meaningful because it's showing the covenant even before there probably was Abraham. So uh, it's, it's, it's very meaningful to them. So did, did God give Job a younger wife because of the new kids? Yes, Jay. Right. True. Good point. Yes. Yes, I think that's a valid, valid hypothesis. And it, and it, wouldn't we think Job the kind of man that he is like? Remember when Joseph put Mary away quietly because he was an honorable man? He didn't want to bring her public rebuke. I don't think Job would have wanted his wife killed. Uh, you know, I think he would have probably wanted her forgiven as well. But again, just speculation. I just, I love these, these kind of discussions because uh, we, we certainly don't know for sure. But Job had changed. Yes, Jay. Yes, and he, and he did not sacrifice for her like he did his children. Very good point. So it is very possible this is a new wife, eHarmony.com, he found. So, or the, or the new show, Farm, The Farmer Takes a Wife. Anybody watch that show? Me neither. Me neither. So Job is not only an upright man, he's now a man who trusts God. He doesn't trust his own righteousness anymore. Remember, Job trusted his own righteousness. Now he trusts God's righteousness. So in closing, anyone want to say what this study has meant to you or uh, one takeaway from this study? It's been a year. Any thoughts? Yes. Well, thank you for, for all of you. Any, anybody else want to give a takeaway? Yes. Yep. Well, no, number one, we know from the book of James that God can tempt no one. He tempts no one. But we're tempted by our own evil desires. And certainly we're tempted by Satan because the Lord's Prayer says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So I would think the only time God would bring back our past is, is not in a negative condemning way, but in a way to make things right for our sake. 
Um, he would never bring up our past to rub our nose in it. That's not God. But he would remind us of an opportunity to make things right. And, but it would always be with the conviction of the Holy Spirit, not with the condemnation of Satan. Good question. Yes? Yes. Yes, forgiveness is, is a process, but when we choose to forgive, we heal ourselves and we do better ourselves. Yes. Right. Is that it brings about healing mm. because you tend to push those things down and forget them. Yep. And that doesn't heal anybody. You know, it just adds to the bitterness and the sorrow yeah. and the hurt that's in there. That's true. Yeah, excellent. Yes, Jay. It's true. That's true. Right. Yes, we don't expect God to come down to our level, but we're, he's to take us to his level. Yes. Peter did not yeah. he redeemed himself and here is hundreds of years before you know the word and he still had faith. Yes. And and we cannot pay for our own sin. And sometimes we flail ourselves, we beat ourselves up, and what we're trying to do is take the place of God, and we cannot, because only God can forgive us of our sin. But do you see how we can in the guilt of our sin, we can actually slip into self-righteousness that, you know, I've got to beat myself up. No, that's why Christ died. That's why he died on the cross, so we don't have to beat ourselves up. Certainly, we need to take our sin seriously, but the moment we drift over into paying for our own sin is a gospel of works, and, it, and it's empty. Yes? Yes. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that's excellent. Because the reality is, sometimes bad things happen to us because we've been bad. Sometimes. Not all. Now, this was an automatic guarantee for them. But sometimes we're suffering because of our own hand. You know, and so we do need to search our hearts. That's why repentance is so important. Lord, certain, the psalmist said, search me and know me. See if there be any wicked way in me. That's our first step to tri- trial and tribulation. Lord, have I done something wrong? It's, it's okay to take that step. But then if the Lord doesn't reveal that, there's, like you said, this could just be to bring him glory. And it's not because we've sinned, but just so he can be glorified. And there's nothing greater than glorifying the Lord in our lives. Yes, Ron. Yep. Amen. Amen. That's a great word to finish on tonight. Well, thank you for the privilege of growing and learning with you. I'm going to be watching on Wednesday night, so because I still want to grow. I, I'm excited. It's Book of Acts, man. That's awesome. So I want to I want to see that as well. But thank you again for the privilege of being your pastor and shepherd for this season. And I, I'm just so excited about what God has for our church, what the Lord is going to do. So let's just keep believing, keep trusting. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this journey through the book of Job. Wow, Lord, have you taken us deep. God, we've learned so much, and I I believe our lives have changed because of this experience. Your word is alive, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Father, I just pray that we would take these principles that we've learned and we would apply them to our life, or it's all for naught. And so, Lord, you want us to know the word so we can change and grow and become healthy and free and delivered. Lord, you don't want us to remain where we are, but to walk in the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ, because he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Lord, thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.